Amen. So when God finished creation, everything he created, he saw that it was good. In other words, it uh, was fulfilling uh, the purpose for which he intended. It turned out the way he intended for it to turn out. It's exactly what he had in mind uh, way back in eternity. Uh, before he created anything, the logos of God, the plan of God. It, it, he, he did it, and it was just what he had in mind. And it had everything designed in it and made in it to fulfill his purpose. God's not unrealistic. He doesn't expect something out of you can't do. He never has asked pigs to fly or ostriches to swim. Amen. He did not create them or design them for that purpose. And then when God created things in nature, his expectation was that it would grow, that it would multiply, that it would replenish itself, uh, multiply and fill the earth with their kind. And so the grasses, the herbs, the trees brought forth after their kind and the creatures in the water and the birds in the air, they brought forth after their kind. And uh, we don't know how many he, be, he created in the beginning. In my mind, he probably created a pair of everything, of, of living creatures so that they could multiply. And he, he created, uh, I don't know how much, uh, he, he might cover the whole face of the earth with, with greenery at one time. But in my mind, I feel like there's just, here, here it is, you know, and if you do what I've created you to do, then we're going to fill the world up with your kind. And one thing kept another thing in check, you know, or it could have all been, uh, could have all been coconut trees. But uh, he put some monkeys there to eat some of the coconuts so they couldn't all produce more coconut trees, you know. He, he knows how to put everything together. How many of you know that? You believe God knows how to put everything together? Amen. He's the architect of this church. And so when God created Adam and Eve, this was the, the crowning achievement of his creation. He had expectations for them. He made them a little lower than the angels, but he created them in his likeness and in his image. If he had expectations for, for deer and dogs and coyotes and, and monkeys and, and uh, honeybees and this and that and the other, he had high expectations for that which was created in his likeness and his image. And because we're creating his likeness and his image, that meant we could achieve, we could attain to things that nothing else God created could attain to. Okay, high expectations. But with those expectations was the ability for us to fulfill his purpose. I've read different things about the, uh, the power of the human brain, different uh, uh, calculations and so forth by people that study these things, and uh, different, uh, you get different uh, statistics or percentages, but uh, suffice it to say that, that we do not even begin to tap into uh, the, the power of the mind that God gave us. Can you imagine what it must have been like before sin corrupted us? 
when I hear somebody play so beautifully upon a violin or a piano or a guitar or, or some other instrument, somebody that really has talent, I, I, I sometimes stop and think, it, it, it probably, with Adam and Eve, the, uh, all the talent that God could put in somebody was in Adam and Eve. But I'm astounded by the wisdom and, and, the, and the intellectual prowess of, of, of really, really intelligent people. And then I think, you know what? Their intelligence doesn't even begin to compare with that of Adam and Eve. You see, God, how many, how many animal species are there? We don't even know that answer today. It's not just in the hundreds or the thousands. It's in the millions, in the multiplied millions. And God called every one of them to Adam, and he gave them a name. So he could have been a botanist. He could have been uh, a, a scientist. He could have been, uh, man, uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to think, a, a zoologist. Uh, above, beyond anything that we know in this day and time because of the power. Everything that God would ever need for man to do, he put that innate ability in Adam and Eve because he had great expectations. And when he created them, it wasn't just to sit around and, and for Eve to feed grapes to Adam and the fanny, and for them to sing sweet lullabies and train some chimpanzees to pick their meal for it and bring it to them. That, that wasn't what it was about. God created Adam and Eve to serve. When he, when he created the garden and he placed them in there, of course, when he created Adam and Eve, he said, I want them to have dominion uh, over everything, which means authority, power, uh, like a magistrate over a country. I want them to rule over everything. And then he told them to subdue it. And, and what, what needed to be subdued? What needed to happen in this perfect world that God created? God created a project. And he wanted Adam and Eve to bring what he had created to maximum fruitfulness. Because this is the way God designed it in the beginning. was for you and I to have our hand in everything God is doing in the earth. High, high expectations. And so he created that garden. He put them in there. And uh, a lot of different things about it. But the fact there was a garden and things were planted in an orderly arrangement. It wasn't that way outside of the garden. One of the things implied in the instructions he gave to them was, was to subdue and, uh, the entire world. And in other words, it, it take, a, take me a little time to explain all this. I don't have time to deal with it, but he was actually saying, what I expect over time is for you to make the whole world like this garden. Here's your prototype. And uh, everything you need, you can do it. Then when he put Adam in the garden, he said, I want you to dress it and keep it. What did dress it mean? Dress it, actually the word there, if you want to look it up, means to serve. And one definition means to serve the Lord. And so when he said, I want you to dress the garden, he said, by laboring and by 
uh, fulfilling my dream, which is for you to sub subdue and have dominion over the whole world, he said, I want you to serve me by making that happen. And he said, I've given you everything you need to work with. Now I want you to, I want you to till it. I want you to, I want you to fertilize it. I want you to uh, prune. I want you to do whatever you need to do and bring it to maximum fruitfulness. Hallelujah. You can take nature and improve on it. It's done all the time. What do you think Adam's abilities in that area were? Incredible. It's a beautiful thing. As Donald Trump would say, we're going to make the world great again. Hallelujah. <laughs> so, this is the things that God equipped him to do. That's to dress it. The second thing was to keep it. That's an interesting word also. In the original root of that word, it means to, to put a hedge of thorns around something or to build a wall around it. Now, why would he tell him to keep the garden? It also means to provide security, to be a guard, to guard against what? To secure it against what? In that world that God created, he, there also was present within that world that which would contaminate, destroy, tear down. Some of you have a little trouble. I'll get going here in a little bit because I know I've got to raise the dead today. I'm trying to work my faith up. And the longer I work with you, the less faith I'm having. <laughs> Jesus, help me, Lord. Amen. But, but anyway, what was there? Why did it need a wall around it? Why did it need protection? Because there were things outside the garden that didn't belong in the garden. And to come into the garden... They would be destructive. They would undo a lot of their work. It was even more than that. There were things, you see, the garden was Adam and Eve's home. And there were things out there in the big wide world that's fine out there in their environment, but you don't necessarily want it to be part of your home. So a pattern was established in the beginning that there are some walls that we need to build in our families to protect against the encroachment of that which is evil, that which is destructive, that which contaminates, destroys, and tries to tear down what we are building. So anything you're building or creating, you got to make sure that you're protecting it. This technological world, they come up with all kinds of incredible, uh, incredible devices and electronics and, and all kinds of ability, but there's always somebody wanting to hack in. Always somebody wanting to steal your identity, your password, your checking account. And so when any kind of software is created, you don't release this until you have built a digital firewall to try to keep the outside from coming in and destroying what you've created and all the valuables that they could access. Let me ask you this. 
did Adam fulfill God's expectations? I don't know how much he worked in the garden. It seems to me like he had somewhat of a negative attitude about it. I know one thing. He never did build that wall. I guess he couldn't get Mexico to pay for it. <laughs> Every now and then I see a little sign of life. You know, it's hard work to build a wall. It's hard work to build a hedge out of thorns. If you've been overseas, some third world nations, you've probably seen some of those hedges that they build. I have. It's pretty, pretty ingenious. In fact, the first one I ever saw that way was down in Mexico in a very remote area uh, up on top of a mountain. And when you got up there, it looked like you were in around Phoenix, Arizona. There was uh, the same saguaro cactuses. There was barrel cactus. Beautiful place, and they and, uh, and this tribe of indigenous uh, people lived up there. And uh, where the church compound was, they had different kinds of things growing. You ever been anywhere where everything that grows has thorns on it? That's the way it was in this in this area. And then they went out and cut more thorns and limbs and vines and this, that, and the other. And carefully, they wove it in and out of that, in and out of that, in and out of that. And it was, it was a big old, you know, thick hedge. And they told me that a rabbit could not even go through that, uh, that uh, natural barrier that they had created. Interesting, huh? But you see, the reason I know that Adam failed was not when he was tempted of the fruit, but he failed to provide security for himself and his family. He did not put in the safety factors that God told him to do. So when that serpent that had the power of communication and speech began to talk to Eve, it should have never been in that garden. But when you have no walls, the devil can come in anytime he wants to and start his insidious work. And he always comes up with, with subtlety. You know, he knows how to come in on, on your blind side. He knows how to present himself as an angel of light. He appears so beautiful, so harmless, so desirable. Right? Isn't that how he works? Amen. He lays his groundwork carefully. Now, I know I read this story in my Bible in just a few minutes' time. I'm a pretty fast reader. I can sit down and read Genesis 1, 2, and 3 uh, if I wanted to in the next 10 minutes and pretty much retain what I read. And so because you can read it so fast, you think it all happened one day. Boom, 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 boom. Now, how long did Eve communicate with the serpent? I don't know. But you know, it takes the devil time to move you from this position to that extreme position. 
He worked on her for a good while. So that rascal just become a household pet. He could just slither in and out of there as he wanted to. And Eve could hold conversations with him. Adam could hold conversations with him. And he wore her down. He affected her thinking. He brainwashed her. He enticed her. The Bible says he seduced her. Now, uh, seducing somebody is different than being married to somebody because you belong to each other. But a seducer works on his intended target or victim however long it takes to get that person's guard down and to mess with their mind and their emotions until he gets them where he wants them. And the devil knows how to seduce God's people. He knows how to work with us and mess with our minds and use all kinds of other people and other things to affect our thinking. And over a period of time, he can have you thinking that some things is all right that one time you would be... Uh, you would have been uh, uh, just totally upset if one of your friends had done this. But now you do it and justify it, think it's fine, and try to get your friends to do it with you. You understand where I'm coming from? And so what we read about here was the end of Satan's subtleties. This is when she finally partook of the fruit. She saw it was pleasant to eye and desirable for food and to make one wise. Several things come into play all at one time, didn't it? Several of our emotions and our needs, our desires, our senses, the eyes are involved, the ears were involved, the feel, the touch, the taste. Uh, desire for recognition, desire to be something, all of it came into play. And the Bible says she partook of that fruit. And it says Adam was with her. Why, Adam? You dunderhead, you. You weren't deceived. You knew what was going on. Why? Why did you allow your wife to partake of that which was forbidden? I don't think Adam was enticed with the food aspect. I don't think that, that it was beautiful, pleasant to the eye, all that. That's not what got him. You know what got him? You shall be as gods. And because he had not fulfilled God's original purpose for him and had left some things undone, this is why I think there's a hint in there. You may think I'm stretching to get this, but trust me, I'm not. I've done a lot of stretching to get here. I've done a lot of, a lot of study, a lot of uh, contemplation, a lot of seeking God about it, whatever. But you know what comes into play is, is the power of submission. When you are not submitted, you have left a door cracked open for the devil. He knows how to exploit it. He knows how to work on it. He knows how to mess with your head. You're not as smart as he is. Amen. He's wiser than Daniel. He's wiser than Solomon. He's been around forever. 
He studied humanity for eons and eons of time from creation until the present. He's been studying you before you were born because he knew your mom and your daddy. And so he knows how to work on us successfully. And he knows when you've left the door open for him. You know, we're so clever. We got a doormat here. In case we lose our key, we put a key under it. Hide it from everybody. Yeah. Don't we? Aren't we smart? We got all these little tricks. What does the professional burglar do? He walks up there. First thing he does, pick up the mat, get the key, and go right on in. We, we've, we've, uh, we've succeeded in keeping out everybody but the one we wanted to keep out. The devil knows when you're not guarded properly. Amen. And so back to this moment in time. Eve was deceived. Adam was not. Why was God rougher on Adam than Eve? Because he deserved it. He did not fulfill his responsibility. He did not do what God told him to do. And personally, this is my theory. Everything else is fact. This is my thinking about it. This is my idea. When he looked at that, you shall be as gods. The first Adam failed. The glory that God had in mind for Adam, he wasn't willing to suffer. He wasn't willing to submit. He wasn't willing to serve. He did not submit to the will of God. And he wanted to bypass the suffering, the labor, everything that goes with it to be crowned with glory and honor that could only come after he had successfully fulfilled the purpose of God. Living in a day and hour when people are taking shortcuts. Amen. A man that will lay the right foundation, preach the right things, build the right walls and hedge it around and build a church. It takes a long time to establish a true apostolic church in this wicked age that we're living in. Some people get so intent in this success-driven society that we live in that they're willing to take shortcuts, amen, and leave some things out and try to uh, reach the masses and the crowd with a watered-down gospel because they're not willing to bear the cross. They're not willing to do it right. They're seeking for an easy way to do it. Many, many people want to be saved. Listening to uh, Sirius Radio on the way up here, and had it on um, on uh, gospel station. Uh, what do they call it? What Howl's the one that was in his program. Anyway, an old 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 song. I hadn't heard it forever, and uh, it, it's it's a country, bluegrassy uh, as you can get. But it, the title of it was "Everybody Wants to Go to Heaven and No One Wants to Die." <laughs> Lord, I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to die. You know, everybody wants glory, everybody wants honor, everybody wants recognition, everybody wants success, but people don't want to die. They don't want to pay the price to get it the way God intended for them to get it. So Adam messed up. 
and he bypassed God's intentions for him. How must God have felt when he come walking in the cool of the day? Adam, where art thou? How many of you believe for a moment that he didn't know where Adam was hiding? I mean, Adam, give him credit. He used that brain for something. He created the first camouflage suit. It was a good one, too. Only thing is, if you're going to do that, you got to make your new one every day. It kind of gets wilted, you know. But it looked pretty good. He's hiding up there. His wife's hiding up there. Where art thou? Look what the Lord was saying to him. Look where you are. You're cowering. You're hiding. You're afraid. You know, one of the things I like about having a dog, I have a little dog, her name is Sadie. She's a little miniature schnauzer. She weighs nine and a half pounds. She's smarter than my wife and I put together. I started out, when he got this dog for one year, almost a year, eight or nine months, the dog never barked. I thought it was retarded. It didn't know how to bark. So I said, we got to do something about this. So one day I gave her barking lessons. Honey, am I telling the truth? <laughs> I mean, I wish I hadn't have because she really caught on good. But I said, I said, Sadie, woof. She looked at me like, woof. And finally she said, she heard that. Whoa, where'd that come from? So anyway, I taught my dog how to bark. <laughs> I'm an animal trainer. Sometimes you have to teach them basic things like how to bark. And, and then she got really good at it. And, uh, and so through the years, I've been teaching her for over a period of time there. I, I, I taught her to, you know, she learned how to bark. <laughs> Oh, Lord, you come to my house. She thinks you came to see her. She'll make more noise than a pack of, of coyotes can uh, trying to welcome you in the door. And uh, so anyway, over a period of time, she started training me. Rolls reversed. She took over, and she'd come in there, and she, instead of going, arf, 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 she'd go, oof, oof. I'd look at her and say, what? She'd go, and then she'd whirl around and she'd take off. And she'd look back at me and go, woof. What? So she took me in there, laundry room where her food is, and she took me over to an empty bowl and went, woof, woof. Okay, I'll fill the bowl. She's happy. And, and so from then on, she realized that I was dumb. There's a lot of things I don't understand, so she began training me. And it's been an ongoing project. And the latest little stunt she pulled, and I don't have time, but, you know, anyway, I, I love my pet. But the latest little stunt, my brother was there from California uh, uh, week before last, and they brought Baudry with him. Baudry is a Wild West 
uh, Schnauzer. He's from the West Coast, California, and his name is Bodney, straight out of the Louis L'Amour book. And uh, Bodney's big and strong, and uh, and uh, they can get him to sing. Well, say you look at him, well, that ain't nothing. And, and then uh, my brothers worked with him. And he actually, if he can get him to cooperate, he'll he'll bark and vocalize it, and you can understand the dog saying, I love you. Oh, ooh, ooh. wow, that's pretty cool. He'll work with him, and he'll get it out a little clear. Well, this night, he didn't want to cooperate. And so Sadie's sitting over there taking it all in. She's looking up at him, and Baudry, he's got him up there and on the couch with him, and, and several times Baudry's going, oh, cooperate okay and then you know my brother it runs in the family okay he's I want to take a picture of my brother that was the cutest part yeah and and after I don't know how many times of doing that Sadie just looked up at Boulder and said we all said what and she did it again. She did it, not looking at us, but at Baudry. She's trying to help that dumb dog understand. So now she's teaching other animals. She said it just as clear. I said, oh, my Lord. But God has expectations, things he wants us to do for him. And I'm afraid, people, I'm afraid that we're not taking it as seriously as we ought to. We want God in our life. We want him in our life enough to change some things that we don't like so that we can enjoy some things that we want and we get to our comfort level and we quit worrying about God's expectations for us. Come into church, we're excited about soul winning, we're excited about growth, we're excited about sending the light around the world. We get caught up in our business ventures, our success, and we pray for God to bless us. We give our tithe and, and an offering, and, and we're just so excited uh, and believing that God's going to give us a better job, God's going to give us more money, but instead of it becoming, I want to be blessed so I can be a blessing, we become nothing but consumers of God's blessings. And we wonder why we hit a point and we can't go beyond it. It's because we've lost our vision or we've never caught a vision or a revelation of God's expectations. This church can do more for God than you think you can. Individually, you can do more for God than you think you can. When God planted his seed of his spirit in you, it has within it, amen, everything, all the spiritual DNA that is required to be or do anything God wants you to do or God wants you to be. You can be great for God, but we got to we got to be careful that we don't allow our fleshly desires and our strong will to keep us from fulfilling God's expectation. Carnality, Amen. But Apostle Peter, he kind of picked up on this theme. Second 
Peter, first chapter, I think it's verse number three, he says, according to his divine power, God's divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Godliness has to do with righteousness or holy living. Life has to do with making a living, the things the Father knows that we have need of. But he's not in just supplying our natural needs. He's got something bigger in mind. He said, you don't worry about it. Take no thought for what you shall eat or drink or wherewithal shall be clothed. Your heavenly Father knoweth you have need of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things. Whatever else you need shall be added unto you. He said the Gentiles are all bogged down worrying about food and clothing and shelter and impressing one another with what they're wearing and on and on and on. Amen. But we're called to a higher calling. Our focus needs to be on the righteousness of God, becoming what God wants us to be. Amen. To be a true Christian, not just in word, but in deed, in action, in our minds, every way, spiritually. I wonder what would happen instead of praying for a raise. We prayed and said, God, I want to do more for the work of God than I am. Could you put some more resources in my hands where I can do more for the work of God? The worst example you can use is yourself. Sometimes that's the only one you can come up with. I remember while young in ministry, my wife and I had only been married a short while. And uh, we were starting this church. And we both had good earning capabilities. But I felt like God dealt with me to go full time, give it all my time to build this church. And I'm glad I obeyed him because we was able to build a, a, a thriving work over a much shorter period of time than we could have otherwise. And then, and then uh, my wife had a, a great job, and she quit it as well. So we're just living off of whatever comes in, which is quite limited. And uh, the only furniture that we had, uh, you know, there's all kinds of styles of furniture, contemporary, um, early American, and, uh, you know, there's just different things out there. I'm not all up on that, but we, we had a unique style called early attic. Just whatever people discarded out of their attic is what we furnished our house with. Broken down beds that I had to repair and second-hand mattresses and maybe third-hand mattresses. You know you're not supposed to do that, but it's better than sleeping on the floor, right? So anyway, uh, we, we were praying about that. And, you know, it wasn't a major, major deal. Honestly, uh, we're not here to honor my wife today, but I'm going to honor her for a little bit. 47 years of ministry, not one time has she ever complained or kicked back on anything that I thought God wanted us to do. Not one time has she ever fussed about any money I put back into work with God. In fact, she's just as gung-ho for it as I am. Amen. A, a, an agreement she and I have had for many, many years, many, many years, is if she's in a service and God moves on her to give a certain amount, just write the check and give it. Whatever it is, is fine with me. And she gives me the same liberty. 
And I remember one time she told me I was gone. She wouldn't come home. She said, honey, I got something. I don't know if I should have done something. I said, what, honey? She said, well, you know, the belt God and the offering and this and that. She said, I wrote a check for $5,000. I said, well, good for you. I'm proud of you. Where's it going to come from? I don't know, but I, I'm, I'm glad for that. So anyway, a woman in our church got a settlement. She had had an accident. She was injured. And this is like about 1970. And that's uh, when you're talking seven, eight, nine hundred $900. That's big money in 1970. In fact, there's enough money to buy a living room suit and a bedroom suit. And whoa, that's we was planning. We were looking. We made a mistake. Visit the home church up in Tulsa. Brother J.B. Lambeth was there when he was going to over as a missionary way back then. And he got to talking about his needs and the work of God and uh, so forth. And uh, we looked at each other, and we just gave all of it uh, to, the, to the missionary that night. Now, the way this story is supposed to go, Brother Riggin, is that the next week somebody walked up and gave me $5,000. That still hasn't happened. We kept living on broken down beds and patched up, throwaway, discarded furniture for a long, long, long time. But you know what? Here's the part that I want to impress you with is the fact that I wept because I didn't have more money to give than what I gave. And I told God then, I said, God, I promise you, if the day comes that you ever see fit to bless me financially, anything you want is yours. I'll never quibble. I'll give it. I'll give every dime I've got. And we've done that many times. And God has blessed us and blessed us and blessed us and blessed us. And I intend in my will, when we die, most of our estate goes to missions. Giving my kids just a little bit of peace. Because I want to see the work of God go forth. And you know what? I can stand before you and ask you to consecrate and ask you to give because I'm trying to live what I preach. And I'm telling you, if some of you would get a vision and start living up to God's expectations, what God knows you can do and what you can be, you'd be amazed at the miracles and the things that God would perform in your life. Are you understanding what I'm preaching to you today? God's expectations for this church. We got everything we need to cover us in life and everything we need in godliness. Everything pertains to God and righteousness and the things of God. It's all been given to us by his divine power. When he gave you the Holy Ghost, he gave you everything you need to be what God wants you to be. Let's pray together right now. Thank you, Jesus. Help us today, God. Help us today, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, let's talk to it. Jesus, have your way today, God. Oh, God, I bless your name. I worship you. I adore you, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, God. I have more I could preach, but I really feel like this is where I need to stop. I'm going to ask you to stand if you would, please.
I know, I'm sure, I'm certain there's been things that have come to your mind while I've been preaching, especially in the last few minutes. I feel God's spirit dealing deeply, strongly, mightily with us here right now. And consequently, you're probably looking at some things a little bit differently when you're in God's presence than you do on Monday when you're out on the job. And the consecrations that we make should be made in this kind of atmosphere when we are more tuned in to things that are spiritual and things that are eternal than we are things that are temporary and things that are natural and things that are carnal. And right now, while we're in God's presence, God wants to talk to us individually so that we can become collectively what he wants his church to be. Would you be honest enough to pray in sincerity to God and ask him, God, what are some areas of my life that I need to commit and consecrate to you? Some areas I need to change. Some things I need to do different. Would you pray that prayer right now? Come on, let's go to prayer right now. Let's talk. God, speak to me. Ask him to speak to you. Show me, God, your expectations for me. God, if everybody in this church would fulfill your expectations, this church could fulfill your expectations for this church. Talk to me, God. Speak to me, God. I need you, God. I need your wisdom. I need your direction. I need your grace. I need your will in my life. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Now we're going to take it just a step further. Now that you've been praying that prayer, if you want to pledge and commit yourself, God, I'm going to make myself available to you. I want to be what you want me to be. I'm going to strive. Uh, I'm going to reach for that. Amen. I'm going to, I'm going to really, really make this a, a goal in my spiritual life. I'm going to ask you to come forward and stand across the front right now. You're willing to make the consecration. Amen. God, I'll be what you want me to be, God. I'll do what you want me to do. Come on, let's don't be afraid of the altar. The altar's a wonderful place. Jesus Christ offered himself on the eternal heavenly altar so that we can have what we have. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost talking to us right now. Come on, let's seek the face of God. Let's seek the face of God. I want to be what you want me to be, God. I want to do your will. I want to be used of you, God. I want to be a part of what you're doing in your kingdom, God. Help me to be kingdom-minded. Oh, I'm telling you, being worldly-minded makes you miserable, but being kingdom-minded brings joy and peace and satisfaction. I want to be what you want me to be, God. Come on, let's pray, let's pray. Let's